Recent advancements in hip arthroscopy and magnetic resonance imaging have elucidated several sources of non-arthritic hip abnormalities that, if left untreated, can result in chronic and disabling symptoms. What are the current indications for hip arthroscopy and what are the management issues clinicians need to be made aware of? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr Mary Lushaz, your host, and joining me today from New York is Dr Brian Kelly. Dr. Kelly is Assistant Professor of Orthopaedic Surgery at the Weill Medical College of Cornell University. He's a specialist in sports medicine and arthroscopic surgery at the Hospital for Special Surgery and also an assistant team physician for the New York Giants. Today we're discussing the management of non-arthritic hip pain and the current indications, treatment options and management issues surrounding arthroscopy. Welcome Dr. Kelly. You've published many journal articles about hip pain and hip arthroscopy. What's the first line of management once you diagnose a non-arthritic hip disorder in an athlete? Well, I think the first is to identify what the source of the problem is. So probably the most common injury that we see in an athlete is a muscle strain, and oftentimes a muscle strain can be treated with a period of rest, uh, anti-inflammatories, occasional use of injections, cortisone injection, and a slow return to activity. In cases where there's more of a intraarticular source of hip injury, the first goal is to really identify what the source is, and that includes a, a workup, which usually includes an intraarticular injection to confirm that the location of the pain is coming from the inside of the joint. How long do you pursue non-operative management techniques before you consider arthroscopy, particularly in an athlete? I think it depends on the severity of the pain, the type of injury that we're dealing with, and how badly it's affecting their ability to perform at the level that they want to perform. But in the setting of, a, for instance, a labral tear, which is one of the more common diagnoses that we see, oftentimes these will present themselves in the middle of a season. I think it's very justifiable to try to get the athlete through the season with a single injection, some physical therapy to manage any associated muscular dysfunction around the hip joint to see if they can perform at the level that they can. If it is a first-time diagnosis and they've just recently had new-onset hip pain and after workup you do confirm that they have labral pathology within their joint, I think it's probably reasonable to try a course of physical therapy for six to eight weeks to see if that's going to settle settle the uh, inflammatory component of the pain manifestation down. And a lot of times with these, even with an intraarticular problem, the main source of the pain is more muscular. As the pain from the inside of the joint becomes more severe, there's a process called arthrogenic pain inhibition, which leads to inhibition of the muscle firing around that joint and leads to secondary muscular dysfunction with tendonitis inflammation. And if you can manage those secondary muscular problems, oftentimes you can get their pain under control allow to allow them to get back into competition. It's for the athlete that has persistent hip pain that's really failed these non-operative measures where you've ruled out an extraticular source and it's truly a mechanical problem. It's not getting better with some of these non-operative uh, approaches. Those are the ones that end up requiring surgery. You mentioned joint injection. I presume you're talking about corticosteroid injection. How many of those are okay during, say, a football season? I don't think it's a great idea to use corticosteroid injection as a method of treatment, as a, as a long-term method of treatment. So the primary goal for me with the use of corticosteroid is for diagnostic purposes. I want to make sure that I've identified the correct location of their hip pain. The secondary benefit from this is that they may get a period of sustained relief that may last up to three or four months. I don't, in general, recommend repeated injections to try to get them through a season with the exception of some extraordinary circumstances. If you know they got one at the beginning of the season and they did great and 
you know, three quarters of the way through the season, their hip pain becomes debilitating, and, and they have three games left before the championship. Then that that obviously is a different story. But in general, I, I try to limit it to one injection, more for diagnostic purposes and true therapeutic purposes. Can we talk now about the surgical techniques you use to perform hip arthroscopy? Hip arthroscopy is a minimally invasive approach to the hip joint. It allows for complete access to the articulating surfaces between the femoral head and the acetabulum, which is known as the central compartment. It also allows complete access to the peripheral compartment, which is the area at the junction of the femoral head and the neck of the femur that extends down toward the trochanter. This area is still encapsulated within the hip joint itself, but it is the area that can be evaluated when the hip is placed in the socket. There's a third compartment or space within the hip joint, which is called the lateral space or the peritrochanteric space. And this is the location between the greater trochanter and the iliotibial band and is a location that pathologies such as chronic trochanteric bursitis exist, tears of the abductor mechanism, including the gluteus medius and the minimus, and then snapping syndromes across the trochanter, known as the uh, external snapping hip or IT band snapping. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushaz, and joining me today is Dr. Brian Kelly from the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. We're discussing the management issues and arthroscopy of non arthritic hip pain. Dr. Kelly, what are the limitations of arthroscopy? Arthroscopy of the hip is a uh, procedure that allows access to the joint. Um, it allows you to repair some torn tissue and it allows you to remove certain types of bone that are causing problems. The procedure is not effective in patients who have arthritis, even in the setting of bony impingement, because although you may be able to address some of the tissue that's torn and you may be able to address some of the impingement that occurs, they still have persistent pain after the procedure because of the underlying cartilage wear. It's also not an effective procedure for patients with deficiencies of their hip joint in the form of dysplasia. Hip dysplasia is a condition where the depth of the acetabular socket is too small and doesn't allow for adequate coverage of the femoral head. This condition of dysplasia also leads to labral pathology, but it's a different type of labral pathology. Rather than the labrum being crushed as occurs in impingement because of the misfit of an oversized femoral head and an oversized acetabulum, in the setting of dysplasia, the labrum is statically overloaded because of a shallow socket. And if you go in and try to arthroscopically repair that labral tissue, you may provide some temporary relief, but you've left them with the same mechanical dysfunction that led them to the tear in the first place. In many cases, there will be recurrence of the injury or pain or tear. And in some cases, it'll actually be worsening of the condition because of the uh, if you've debrided some of that labrum, that labrum may have, in fact, been acting as a buffer between the head and the socket. So the two main deficiencies or limitations of the hip arthroscopy in my practice are patients with arthritis or patients with acetabular dysplasia. And how soon can a patient resume athletic activity after a hip arthroscopy? My uh, general recommendations for patients who have undergone a hip scope for treatment of labral tear, usually with some additional bone work for impingement, is that they can't return to full activities without any limitations until six months. Oftentimes, they will get back a little, uh, sometime between four and six months, but starting off the procedure, everybody's given the instructions that it'll be six months before they return to their full activity. I let people uh, leave the hospital the same day that they have the surgery, so it's an ambulatory procedure. They uh, walk on crutches for the first two to four weeks, depending upon the certain specifics of the operation. 
I get people on a stationary bike the day of or the day after surgery to encourage early range of motion of the hip joint so it doesn't stiffen up. And then it's a progressive three-month formal physical therapy program, which allows for a progressive increased range of motion, decrease in pain and inflammation around the surgical hip, and slow progression to increase strengthening programs. During the second three months, there's a functional rehab program where there's a slow return to normal activities. Oftentimes, we can get people running somewhere between three and four months. A lot of times, we can get people skating. So if you're a hockey player, you get back on the ice sometimes even sooner because the impact is less, sometimes as early as eight weeks. But in general, I usually tell people four to six months recovery. Describe what a sports hernia is and how it affects the hip joint and how you manage it. Sports hernia is sort of a general term which refers to damage to some of the muscular tissues that cross the pubic symphysis. Um, So it's not really the hip joint proper, but the uh, pubic symphysis region. The simplest way to understand sports hernia or athletic pubalgia, as it is more commonly described, is a injury to the mechanism of the adductor, that's the uh, groin muscle where it inserts under the pubis, and secondary injury to the rectus abdominis or the lower abdomen where it inserts in a similar location on the pubic symphysis. There probably is a correlation between the presence of impingement in the hip joint and the development of athletic pubalgia because decreases in rotation across the hip joint, which occur in the setting of impingement, lead to increased stresses and strains across the pubic symphysis in the adductor musculature and the rectus abdominis. These lead to chronic strains, chronic micro tears, then scarring of the adductor and the rectus, and ultimately can lead to complete avulsions of the adductor or the rectus, which lead to deficiencies in the, in the pelvic floor on the rectus side and complete avulsions of the adductor longus on the adductor side. What are you learning from your current research into non-arthritic hip pain in the athlete? We're learning, first of all, that impingement surgery works and that the arthroscopic approach to impingement surgery as a minimally invasive alternative to the traditional approach of a surgical dislocation, although it does have some limitations, with improvements in technique and instrumentation, we're able to perform the surgery almost as accurately as we can through the open surgical technique. We're looking at outcome studies to try to assess how patient symptoms improve and how much we're able to effectively decrease the rate at which cartilage degenerates after impingement surgery is performed, and we're finding favorable results at the minimum follow-up of two years, and uh, our next goal is to show uh, similar results at the midterm results of eight years. What's the overall level of patient satisfaction from a hip arthroscopy? Depends on what the indication was. I think there is a spectrum of indications for the surgery. Probably the best indication for surgery is a young male athlete with uh, impingement who has no significant cartilage wear. So if you're fortunate enough to identify impingement in a young athlete who's still a teenager, the impingement has caused some early damage that leads to pain but hasn't led to any permanent damage to the cartilage surfaces. That patient can be very effectively treated with an arthroscopic decompression of the bony impingement with labral refixation, which allows us to repair the labrum back down to the bone with a satisfaction rate in the mid-90s, probably 90 to 95%. On the other hand, if you get somebody who has progressed already, somebody who's in their mid-40s and they've had impingement for their whole life, they have, and has, this has led to some permanent cartilage wear, those patients are going to be significantly less predictable in how you can improve their symptoms and therefore less satisfied than the ones that it doesn't work on. Um, I think the, the two things that we have learned about impingement overall are that uh, impingement 
uh, people who have arthritis, a uh, large percentage of those people had impingement, so impingement leads to arthritis. And the second is that if we're going to effectively treat it, it's most effectively treated earlier before there's any permanent chondral wear, and we, that, that's where our highest satisfaction rates are. What's the future of hip arthroscopy? Well, I think the future is that as we begin to develop more sophisticated appreciation for the mechanics of the hip joint, we will be able to identify very specific causes of mechanical mediated hip pain and mechanically mediated arthritis and cartilage degeneration. Ultimately, I foresee the ability to identify the hip at risk uh, based upon computer modeling and identifying patients that are going to have a very high likelihood of progressing onto cartilage wear, offering them protective surgeries to recontour their shape uh, to prevent this uh, chondral damage from occurring. My thanks to Dr. Brian Kelly for joining us today. We've been discussing current management issues surrounding non-arthritic hip pain and hip arthroscopy. I'm Dr. Mary Louchard. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Thanks for listening. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. 